Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Welcome everyone. Um, I mention it every week just in case you don't know. My name's Robert. I'm one of the three pastors here at, at Calvary Chapel South London and we're in the process of going through a series in the book of Acts and it's basically looking at the history of the early church. And we're kind of going for a mini-series within the series of Acts. We kind of break up and do that momentarily from time to time as the text kind of directs us to. And um, today we're going to be looking at the second part of the first international overseas mission. And under that subheading, under that major heading is a subheading, which is a cosmopolitan church in a metropolitan area. A cosmopolitan church in a metropolitan area. And we're only going to be looking at a few verses. As I mentioned last week, we're going to, we're going to spend quite a, a bit of time in Acts chapter 13. And we're going to really be looking at three verses. So if you're in Acts 13 with me, I'll begin to read in verse 1. <clears throat> now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Actually, we're probably only going to be looking at one verse today. And so Barnabas and Saul... They've now returned from Jerusalem. We saw that from verse 25 of the previous chapter. You can just cast your eyes back at verse 25 of Acts chapter 12. And now that they've come back from Jerusalem, they've actually brought along with them John Mark. And they've all gone north or down to the church in Antioch. This is actually... Barnabas and Saul's home church. And verse 1 of our chapter says that there were prophets and teachers, which is something that we looked at quite extensively right last week. And these prophets and teachers are named for us. Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Mannion, and Saul. This week, we're going to talk about who they were, and next week, we'll look at what they did. So, who they were. As already mentioned, this church in Antioch was a substantial one. We saw a few weeks ago that not only was this a large congregation, it was also a mixed congregation. Having disciples who were Jewish and Gentile, but probably more Gentile than Jewish. Now, this is the first century, approximately 44 A.D., we, sitting here in this room, are now in the 21st century. 20 centuries or two millennia or 
2,000 years later. And a lot has happened over the years. Unlike now, then, the gospel was first shared by Jews and to other Jews. Then quickly Gentiles or non-Jews began to become Christians. And then they began sharing with other Gentiles. To the point where now the gospel or the, the good news about God's free gift of salvation is being communicated in every corner of the globe. And God the Holy Spirit, who is the executive producer of the book, like the chief editor in this book, he highlights this. And he's been doing that, if you remember, for the past eight chapters. Little significant bits of information that you can read over that continually identify that he's now turning his attention more so to the Gentile nations as opposed to who his heart has been toward for centuries, which are the Jews, right? And I believe that the Holy Spirit through Luke in the writings of the book of Acts up until now is helping us to appreciate that God has a heart for all people. God has a heart for all of the nations. Luke, in his first volume, in his gospel, right, in the book of Luke, is very careful to make specific references to those who are marginalized. We hear him make often references to the poor. As you read through Luke, you hear him constantly and consistently make gentle um, mention of those who are disabled. We see him also highlight a group of people who are severely marginalized, particularly at this point in time, and that is women. The biblical account speaks directly to all, particularly in Luke's writings to the disenfranchised. But those are not the only group that he writes to. Repetition for reinforcement, they say, as a teacher. He also adds to that list, that is to the poor, the disabled, and women, he adds to the list the non-Jewish. The non-Jewish, the Gentile. And of course he would do that because Luke is the only Gentile writer in the whole Bible. Constantly Luke seems to be indirectly highlighting and spotlighting those of other nationalities using what they call ethnography, which means to describe human societies. It means to describe different people groups through writing. Ethnography. Luke is very ethno-conscious, which describes an ethnic sensitivity. Luke consistently gives us Little clues throughout his writing that identify God's heart. This would prove to be very helpful to his readers, then and also now, particularly for those outside of the Christian faith who would feel excluded, specifically because of their ethnicity. Okay, getting back to our text. What we have here, which is 10 years after the birth of the church, it's only taken us a couple of weeks to get to chapter 13, but we've actually transitioned through years. So 
10 years now after the birth of the church is a combination, check it, of Near Easterners and North Africans collaborating in gospel ministry. This area is known as the Near East. I'm going to have to get this laptop set up here somehow because this ain't good. That's the Near East, which is not to be confused with the Middle East. right? And then obviously you've got the Far East. Near Easterners. Acts chapter 11, verse 20 says, But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, if you have a look at the map, there's Asia Minor, which is modern-day what? Modern-day Turkey. And there we have Antioch, which is where our cosmopolitan church is, which was started by disciples who came from Israel, Cyprus, which is that island just off the coast in the Mediterranean, right? And note this city, Cyrene, if you can see it just in the bottom right-hand corner. Cyrene, which is where? What country is Cyrene in? It's in Libya, right next door to Egypt. Both of those countries are where? In North Africa, right? Now, I make, this, I make a point of this in order that we might see just how mixed and international and multinational the church was becoming. Can you see it? Historically, things would change significantly in the years following. Yet, we are now seeing in the 21st century, in the last 200 years, a revival in church growth on a multinational level. Now, more about church history another time. So, we have Near Easterners and North Africans collaborating in gospel ministry. And significantly enough, the church is going to be, this church in Antioch, is going to be the first church to strategically launch an international outreach. Strategically. Not like the way when we saw in Jerusalem the apostles were and all of the disciples were. Remember, Acts 2, 3,000 getting saved. A little later, another 2,000. And it growing to about 10,000 in Jerusalem. Then persecution comes. And they all end up spreading out. Remember, they, they end up going north through Syria, Phoenicia, right up to Lebanon, sharing the gospel. But the only reason they go... It's because they're being persecuted. <laughs> they, and there ain't no strategy in that. The Lord used it like he does use coincidence, quote unquote, so often, right? But this church in Antioch are going to begin to strategically launch international outreach. And an outreach that will cover most of this map in approximately, check it, 17 years. 
So let's look at the second part now of verse 1 carefully. The first in this group of men listed is who? Barnabas. Barnabas. No description is given here because we have already been introduced thoroughly to Barnabas. Remember earlier, starting in Acts chapter 4. I'm going to bring you up to speed if you weren't here at that time. In Acts chapter 4, verse 36, actually, told us three things. Acts 4, 36. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. Three things. His original name was Joseph, which was changed to Barnabas, Barnabas, which is son of Nabas, and basically it means son of encouragement, which identified his character. As we looked at Barnabas, he's the brother who's always putting his arm around someone, encouraging them, telling people to back off and leave alone and caring for individuals in the church. No wonder he became one of the leaders in Antioch. But his original name was Joseph. Now, the second thing is he was Jewish. And from which tribe? Tribe of Levi. Then the third thing we see, that he was born and raised, even though he was Jewish, he wasn't born and raised in Israel. He was born and raised on the island of Cyprus. Three things. Now, verse 37 indicates that he was probably financially secure and very generous. A lie? Look at verse 37. He, that is Barnabas, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Again, this is something that we saw. Acts chapter 9, verse 26 and 27, describe how Barnabas then, as I said, extended the hand of fellowship to a converted murderer. Remember, when no one wanted to have anything to do with Saul, Barnabas was the intermediary. He believed in Saul when everyone else didn't. In Acts chapter 9, verse 26 and 27, it says, And when he had come to Jerusalem, that's Barnabas, sorry, that's Saul, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But, for obvious reasons. Verse 27, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas. Then in Acts chapter 11, after a few years, news comes to the church in Jerusalem, which is where Barnabas is. News comes to the church there and the leaders of a new church in Antioch. And the apostles send who to oversee it? They send Barnabas. In Acts chapter 11, verse 22, says the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and that is the leaders, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So Barnabas is Jewish by birth, but native to Cyprus. A little bit like me. Not that I'm Jewish or from Cyprus, but I'm Jamaican. That is, both my mom and my dad are from Jamaica. I'm Jamaican by birth, but I'm native to Britain. I'm, I'm of British nationality, although I'm black Jamaican. Barnabas is Jewish by birth, 
but he's from Cyprus. Now, can you see how this mixture is being identified? And again, it's stuff that you, re- you miss and read over. And this would be a window into the kaleidoscope of different nations in the church at Antioch. When was the last time you heard that word? Kaleidoscope. Did you ever have one when you were little? Kaleidoscope, the different changing colors and mixing of and blending of the colors of the rainbow. If, if, you're over, if, you're, if you're over, if you're under 30, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but believe me, it is applicable. <laughs> this church, full of a mixture of multinational, multiracial people, and it's wonderful. It's a picture of what the church should be. A lie? How many of you know that that's what it's going to be like in heaven? Revelation chapter 7 says, After this, John speaking, the writer of the book of Revelation, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. You see, reference to the triunity of God, the Trinity, the Father on the throne, as well as the Son, the Lamb, Jesus Christ, the Lamb that was slain, yet who also is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Heaven, which... This scene, verse 9 and 10 of Revelation 7, I would suggest is a, is a scene after the rapture had actually just taken place. Now, that's just my personal perspective. More about eschatology another time, though, right? See, you notice, these are opportunities where I'd normally go off, but I'm going to try and stay on track. Notice, individuals in the church. Individuals in this assembly where? in heaven not just from the nations but every nation not just from the tribes but from all tribes and peoples all languages it's beautiful it's a picture of those that god desires to redeem and as we look into the future we see that he does redeem One last thing, because we're talking about Barnabas. One last thing about Barnabas. After being separated from Saul, who incidentally is at the bottom of our list in Acts chapter 13 of the five. After being separated from Saul, because Saul went back to Tarsus, never heard nothing from Saul, right? After being separated from Saul, Barnabas is then reunited when he goes to search for him in Acts chapter 11. In verse 25, it says, So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And it's because he'd arrived in Antioch and it was popping. People were getting saved. The Lord was doing a great work, it says in Acts chapter 11. And many were coming to the Lord. So Barnabas is like, oh, I, can't de- I need some help. I can't deal with all of this on my own. So quickly he goes and draws for, he goes and 
gets Saul to come and aid him and help him because he remembers. I remember Saul, he was heavy. He'd stand up and he'd speak and preach. Went back what, eight years ago when we were back in, in, in Jerusalem and on the road to Damascus when he was actually in the city of Damascus. I remember. I wonder if he's, if he's still around. And he went to Tarsus and remember, we looked at that last week. He had to search for him because even, even though Saul had been a Christian for, for at least eight years now, Saul didn't have a, he didn't have a, a local national or international ministry at this point and that says a lot about running into ministry you know what i'm saying particularly where you know we hear people we kind of see a lot of of people kind of like well i was this when i was in the world so hey i'll get saved i just need to continue doing what i was doing but that is not necessarily the case it sometimes is the case but it ain't necessarily the case and I'm not the greatest example, but I remember when I first got saved. Before I got saved, I was a DJ playing on Rampage before Rampage was big, big Rampage, right? Me and Richie P, only two of us at the time, playing in little dives in Streatham, like with 10 people turning up. I was a DJ, had enough music, decks and everything. I get saved, innit? And I sensed the Lord say to me, Robert, you know what? See the music thing? It's got to go. I was like, whoa. Okay. And after about two weeks of trying to, absorb, uh, trying to absorb that, I just came to the conclusion. I thought, you know what? That makes sense. Because the music that I listen to ain't glorifying you, Lord. Back in, the, back in the day, now I'm digging in the crates, right? Back in the day, I got saved like talking about 20 years ago. NWA, Public Enemy, I mean, original gangster rappers. It probably ain't nothing, nothing as bad as what's going on now, but it was bad back then. It just goes to show you how bad it is now, right? And I thought, you know what, Lord, that really makes sense that I get rid of all of this music. Because this stuff don't glorify you. Classic example I always use, because if, you, if, if you've been <laughs> saved like out of my era, especially the 80s, this one always reaches. I used to have a tune here called Midnight Lover. And every time I'd put the needle on the record and play that tune, something in me felt very uncomfortable. And some of the lyrics of the song were like, go like this. I know a man who only comes around at midnight. Do -dum -dum -do -dum. He only comes to see me when everyone is out of sight. He goes home the next day, every evening at the same time, time. I know I... I can't, I can't reach the next note. I know I can't be his. I know he can't be mine. He's my midnight lover. But wait, and then it was, I was like, you see, and I'm wrestling through these things. God's speaking to me. I'm saved. You know what I'm saying? Like we were talking last week, people wrestle through things after they get saved, like smoking. You know what I'm saying? You just got to give them time, innit? So the Lord's speaking to me. I'm like, wow, maybe, maybe you're right. I just need, this, this, this stuff ain't glorifying you. What am I going to do with it? I'd be like, the woman's chatting about the man leaving his wife in the middle of the night to come and check me. And then he goes home quickly, discreetly, no one don't know, in time to get home, nobody knows, he's my midnight lover. <laughs> so I begin to gleefully get rid of my records. I remember having a Barry White album, it's a double album, and this guy at work wanted to buy it from me in the post office. I'm going to try and make this one quick. 
in the post office. And um, this guy he said, yeah, boy, Rob, I heard you're getting rid of your records. Yeah, I'm selling them, getting rid of them. He's like, boy, I want to see if I can buy some. I said, look, I really want to try and get rid of the lot. But he offered me a good, a good deal. On <laughs> so what, you lot couldn't tell me? It's like Pastor P said, we've got to have a bit more interaction, you know. <laughs> this ain't good. <laughs> and um, so this guy's like, I, you know, I really ain't got the money to buy all your records. Forevermore, I probably got most of the records you got. But this double, Barry, this Barry White double album. And I, so I'm like, all right, cool, man. So I dig out the album, come to work the next day. I used to work in the post office in Vauxhall, Nine Elms Lane. 19 years I was a postman. So I go in, said to the brother, yeah, yeah, cool, I got the album. He's like, yeah, safe, safe. Took out the money to give me the album, and I took it out the locker, and I looked at the album, and I thought, I've already determined that this stuff ain't good for me, yet I'm going to go sell it to you. In my mind, this is going over in my mind, and I'll be like, and you know Barry White is one of the worst culprits, right? So I was like, okay, no, this ain't, so I pulled the album, one of the, one of the records out the sleeve, um, records are what we used to use back in the day before <laughs> CD. Justin, you've got to clarify this stuff nowadays. Pull out, the, pull out the record, out the sleeve, and I used to look after my records. So you know you've got to turn it a certain way to pull it out so it don't slide out. This, the, right. So I pull it out, take, and I took it out, the, out of the inner sleeve, right, and I snapped it in front of him. The brother run, he ran down the corridor, pulling out his hair, asking, asking himself, because he never asked, running up and down, asking himself, what on earth I thought I was doing, and I, I edited the expletives, asking if I'm out of my mind. Now, I tell that story, I think, to make reference to the fact that I had changed. You know what I'm saying? I had changed. And funny, become a Christian now, People see me as a Christian, they'll be like, oh, Robert, yeah, safe, safe. You still DJing? I'll be like, no, I ain't doing that no more, you know. And they're like, for real, why not? I said, I'm a Christian now. They'll be like, so? <laughs> I'm like, you don't understand. And I didn't take it for granted that, oh, well, you know, I've done that in the world, so, hey, music is going to be my life as a Christian. I didn't. And it was me and Helen, who was my girlfriend at the time, because we got saved now. Within a year of getting saved, we got married. Just me and her and my Bible going to church. It's just sitting down in church, beginning to learn about the Lord and grow in my relationship with him. I begin to understand this mysterious book called the Bible. And then about two years later, I really got to hurry. About two years later, we, I was in a Bible study in Vauxhall. And in this Bible study, there was a lot of young guys and they looked bored and I thought, Lord, you know, what could I do to try and encourage these young brothers? You know, if there's anyone in the scriptures that I feel like I identify with is Barnabas. I'm a brother. I like to encourage people. And I'd be like, Lord, what can I do to encourage these brothers in here? They look so bored. So I went away and I wrote this poem. Came back the next week and I said to the brother who is leading the study, I said, would you mind if I just read this poem? And he went, no, nah, cool, read it, man. It's safe. Read the poem. The, the young brothers in there was like, raw, that's heavy. Sounds like a rap, bruv. So I was like, mm, okay. And he was like, you should, you should get some music and make a tune out of that. So I thought, boy, well, maybe. There was a guy in our church called Ambrose, if anyone remembers back in the CCF days, a brother called Ambrose who used to make beats. 
Simple beats on his little Atari ST. So he made some beats. And check it. He made a beat for me for this tune. And about a couple of months, can't remember exactly, a couple of months later, we were all giving out tracks in Peckham outside the Red Bull pub. And as we're giving out these tracks, some of the girls took fast and went inside the pub. And started giving out tracks inside the pub. So we're like, what's scared? The proprietor, the proprietor from, the, from the pub, if you know the Red Bull in Peckham, it's not there anymore, it's a black pub. The proprietor, a black man come out, he goes, what you lot doing in my pub? And they said, oh boy, you know what, we're just giving out some gospel tracks because you know what, blah, blah, blah. And he went, can you sing? And they went, yeah, of course we can sing. He said, good, come back next week and do a concert here, a gospel concert. They were like, what? They run out of the, the pub. We were like, what? And it was like, okay, look, you two can sing. You know, you um, can run sound. Robert, you got a rap. Bring your rap tune. That's how I started in, in Christian rap, Christian, in the Christian music ministry. It didn't start off for me as getting into the industry. Chatting about units and, you know, there weren't no MySpace to get your profile up there and out there. And there weren't none of that record labels and blah, blah, blah. I could go on and talk about how the Lord then linked me up with Pastor Patrick and Pastor Ephraim. A little while after that, we become very good friends and thank the Lord. And I'm saying our union is as tight as ever by the grace of God. I'm saying, and it was back then in like 1991, 92, where Ephraim, Pastor Ephraim, wasn't a rapper. You know him as a rapper. He wasn't a rapper back then. He was a singer. Used to go sing all around the place. Used to go bricks. Used to go New Testament in Brixton Pentecostal Church. Used to turn up in. My man's got this red maroon suit. <clears throat> I think he might have mentioned it in the past. <clears throat> and he had check this. He actually had a high top fade. And. You know, it was a thing where it was like we just got together as friends, all the three of us. We had all these great schemes and plans that we was going to do. Hardo, remember P? And all of these things that we was going to do. And, and it's funny, 20 years now, we're beginning to see it realized. It was like, E, you do a singing thing. And he was like, yeah, you do a rapping thing. Why don't we just get together and do a singing and a rapping thing? And that's how, um, what, what, that's how MOD started. But back in the day, it wasn't MOD. It had another name. You can... Check Pastor E after the service and ask him what the name was. We had to change Pastor Brian Brodus and encouraged us to change it swiftly when he found out the name. But, um, but yeah, that's how we got involved. And, you know, he taught me how to sing and I began to try and help him with the rapping thing. And that's how we became. And it, was, it, it began as ministry. It continued as ministry. And now as we look back in the past, we look back in the past at what we did musically as ministry. Do you know what I'm saying? And I'm saying that just because you get saved and are involved in something, it don't mean that it, you naturally transition into that. Well, boy, I'm saved, so that, that means I'm going to do what I used to do, but just Christian now. It may mean that, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. So, Saul is in Tarsus just being a Christian. And see how providentially, who knew that he was going to be what he became? I mean, even when the Lord spoke to him through Ananias and told him that he was going to speak to kings and it was going to go to the nations and to the Gentiles, 
even that, he's probably thinking, what, what did that all really mean? But over a process of time, we see it. We see it. And you need to be encouraged, whoever you are, wherever you are at, in terms of your growth, whether you've been saved for five minutes or for five years or for 15 years. You need to be encouraged that God has got a purpose for your life. And I'm saying, don't, don't be definite in that which you think it may, it may be. And I'm saying, if anything, just give yourself to the Lord, innit? Just give yourself to the things that you know you're supposed to do, like it says in 1 Thessalonians 5. People are always asking a question, you know, I wonder what God's, God's specific will is for my life. What's God's specific will for your life? You may have heard. People used to ask me that all the time. And I'd be like, I don't know. And they'd tell me, well, you know what, one day you're going to be a pastor. I was like, yeah, whatever. I'd be like, what's, what's, what's God going to do in your life? Well, I'm not really sure, you know. Oh, but you're going to tell me about my life. I'm just saying, you can't tell. But what you do need to do is, if you don't know the specific will of God, 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us what the general will of God is. Praying without ceasing. Give thanks in all things. Despise not prophecies. These things do not grieve the spirit. These things are the general things. You may not know what the specific thing is. Oh, what does the Lord want me to do? So I don't know, so I'm just going to sit down. No! Give yourself to the general things. And as you give yourself to the general things, you will find that you will all of a sudden end up lifting up your head and thinking, wow, how did I get here? Well, you got there because you were faithful in the small things. And it's being faithful in the small things that allows you to develop and come to the point where you now begin to do the big things or the specific things. So, Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul because they were now going to spend an extended period of time overseeing this new church. And it must have been big things for, for, for Barnabas because he wasn't a pastor before. It must have been big things for Saul because he wasn't a pastor either. And now they're here taking responsibility this whole church. Pastor P. <laughs> Pastor E, if you listen to this at some point. Taking responsibility for this big church. Verse 26 of Acts chapter 11 says, And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And check it. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Antioch is a heavy, this is a heavy-hitting church. And look how it started. A couple disciples who give themselves to helping those that are not maybe where they're at. And look what the Lord develops out of it. So I would try and encourage the young man them in here. Encourage you to give yourself to, to ministry. And what that might mean at the beginning is just serving in children's ministry like we did for 10 years, serving by sitting at the chairs or sitting on the sound like we did for years. And it's faithfulness in those little things. God ain't going to ask you to do not, nothing specific if you ain't being faithful in the general. Be like, Lord, I'm still waiting for you to show me my ministry. Show you your ministry. After he just done already clearly outlined your general ministry and you ain't doing that. How you expect, God ain't going to come and give you something big if you ain't faithful with a little bit. A lie? And I'm speaking generally. Don't get offended. You know what I'm saying? So it's vital. Now, going back to Acts chapter 13, we have already 
had a great deal of information in Barnabas. I just summed it all up. I took too long, but so I'm not going to take so long on the others. Barnabas, who is one of the most senior of this group of leaders, and he's a, he's a prophet and he's a teacher. Now, prophet, remember, in the way that we defined the other day. And <clears throat> question, who is the second person on the list? Simeon called Niger. Simeon, who was called Niger. Now, this is a tricky one. This is the only place in the New Testament that this man is mentioned. But there is a slim possibility he may actually be the Simon in Mark chapter 15. Simeon is a Jewish name. But he was also commonly known as Niger, which means black. Now, bearing in mind the cosmopolitan nature of this church, be in the context. Walk with me. Simon is the Greek form of the Hebrew Simeon. They're both the same name. The Simon in Mark 15, which we're going to look at in a minute, is further described as Simon of where? Cyrene. Remember on the map? Now, we're going to see this in a moment. Could this be the same Simeon in Acts 13... Because he possibly came from the same area. Remember that verse that we read earlier? Well, remember the place. So, this guy in Acts 15, this Simon comes from the same place as the disciples we just saw who relocated relocated in Antioch. Let's go and see this, Simon. But before we go, look at Acts chapter 12, verse 25, which is the verse before our verse that I did ask you to just glance at. Verse 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was what? Mark. Now, it's hard to keep up with all of these name changes and these aliases. Barnabas, who was Joseph, and Simon, who was Peter, right? And now here we've got John, whose other name was Mark. It's... This John Mark, or Mark, is the Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Bear that in mind as we turn to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, the gospel of Mark, or the gospel of John Mark. Now try and stay with me. Verse 15, Mark 15. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, this is just prior to the crucifixion of Christ. Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, right, who was a criminal. And having scourged Jesus... He delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. 
Verse 17, and they clothed him, that is Jesus, in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And he began to salute him, jeering him, mocking him, hail, king of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed, like a broomstick, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in mockery, in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Verse 21. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of where? Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry Jesus' cross. So here is Simon of Cyrene. Then we see some more information about him. He is the father, Mark says, of who? Alexander and Rufus. Now note Simon's children's names because we're going to come back to them. Now this is information that none of the other gospel writers give us. They talk about Simon carrying Jesus' cross, but they don't talk about his family even though they make mention of the same event? Could it be because this John Mark writing knows the Simon or the Simeon in a way that the other writers didn't? Possibly because he was the same Simeon in Acts 13 who John Mark would have known as one of his pastors. Now, I'm not saying it was. I'm saying it could be. It would make sense if he was the same Simon. Now, the question has to be asked, I would suggest, coming back to Acts 13, why would he be called black? Well, it would make sense that he was called black. One, because he was from Cyrene, which is North Africa. And two, because it would be a good link back to Mark 15 with regard to carrying the cross because the Roman centurion would have grabbed not a Jew, he would have grabbed an outsider, a non-Jew. He would have grabbed a foreigner to carry the cross rather than further humiliate another Jew given that Jesus was Jewish. Plus, Simeon is well known to Saul, who is also one of the elders on our list in Acts 13 verse 1. And Saul, when he eventually becomes Paul, Saul writes about Simeon's family amidst a long list of his close associates. In, Acts in Romans 16, you see Paul make this long list of all the people that are close to him. And when he gets to verse 13, he says, greet this person, greet that person. Verse 13, greet who? Rufus. Remember I told you to make a note of, Sim of Simon's sons? He says, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who would have been Simeon's wife. And he says, doesn't he, who has been a mother to me, says Paul. And it doesn't end there. Going back to Acts 13, verse 1, look at the next man on the list who comes after black Simeon. Lucius. Lucius of where? Here we go again. It's another brother from Cyrene. Possibly another brother of color. At least based on where he's from. 
Acts 11 described that the church at Antioch, you see, and this is all, trying, this is all supporting my thesis. It's all supporting my point. The church at Antioch had been established even before Barnabas came by disciples from where? Who first started the church in Antioch before it was known as a church, quote-unquote, before Barnabas comes, before Saul comes, who started it? Simple disciples who had come from Jerusalem, but also disciples who came from Cyrene. If these disciples were the ones who shared the gospel through whom others were saved, would it be unreasonable to expect that those same gospel-communicating disciples became the leaders? Would that be strange? No, it wouldn't be strange at all. Black Simon is not just an attending member of the church. He was a leader. Saul is another leader, possibly, as I mentioned, younger than Simeon, if Simeon's wife was like a mother to him. So Simeon's an older man, and Paul's a young buck. Saul is also named among those in Antioch in close proximity to Simeon, as I mentioned, joint leaders, co-pastors, or a plurality of elders, and we're going to talk more about that next week. Saul's named among them. So potentially Saul knows Simeon because he's on the same leadership team as Simeon. Saul is more mature spiritually, but Simeon is more mature in terms of age. Saul's going to know him because he's on the same team as him. So I makes gentle reference back to his son. Saul's brethren, because he's older, his dad. And even his mum, Rufus's mum, who treated Saul like a son. You see how beautifully weaved together the scriptures are? Now, we don't have any added info on Lucius apart from where he's from. And then a possible reference in Romans 16, if it's the same person, probably one of Paul's close associates. In Romans 16, verse 21, Paul again writing, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, so do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. Likewise, going back to Acts 13, verse 1, likewise, who's the next person on the list? Manian, the fourth on our list a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch. Manian, in his past, was a politician. He was a politician. Good thing that he never thought about bringing that into his Christianity, in a specific sense at least. I'm sure he used the gifts that he had as a politician. Having a past that was tied up in government and political affairs of state, being a member of the council of Herod, the king. Some commentators suggest that he was the foster brother of Herod. That is Herod Antipas, which was the Herod who beheaded John the Baptist and presided over one of Jesus' trials in Luke chapter 23. And so we come to the last, but no means least, of our list of five elders, and that is Saul, who will eventually become Paul the Apostle. It's hard for me to keep tracking and calling him Paul and calling him Saul because he ain't Paul yet, he's Saul, who will eventually become the great Apostle Paul. 
We saw him introduced in Acts chapter 7. Do you remember? How did we see Saul introduced to us in Acts 7? Where Stephen was standing up and giving this incredible message, Saul was standing there holding the coats of those that stoned Stephen. Then, later on, we see him in Acts chapter 9, saved Saul, on the road to Damascus. Then we see him befriended, as I mentioned, by Barnabas. And then we see Saul develop into one of the leaders here in the church at Antioch, which is a cosmopolitan church in a metropolitan area. May we be the same. That is our prayer. That we wouldn't be a black church. That we wouldn't be a white church. That we wouldn't be a hip-hop church. And when we first started the church, a lot of people came here expecting to see big speakers and CD mixers. Like, you know what I'm saying? Man scratching during worship. That's what a lot of people expected. Because we're rappers, right? And then, probably half of you in here didn't even know that. Didn't even, I've never even heard mine, Pastor P's or Pastor E's testimony. But we don't want to be known as the hip-hop church. That's madness. That takes, that takes for granted that everyone is going to be into hip-hop. That's madness. Now, you need to appreciate it because it's heavy. That is Christian hip-hop. Godly, you know what I'm saying, biblically-based Christian hip-hop. You've got to say that nowadays. And I mean, but no, we want to, may we be a community where all of those cultures are reflected like the kaleidoscope. For us as a church, we are situated in a multicultural, multiracial context. Not every single church is going to be mixed. But we need to be because of, where, because, because of the context that we find ourselves in. London is, is multiracial. Come on now. So, so how could we desire anything other than that? If you're a church in the middle of, you know what I'm saying, of a country that doesn't have many other individuals in terms of the population, it's only, only one type of people in that, in that place. Well, fair enough, you expect to be you expect to be of that particular culture, nationality, and color, but not when you're living in London. So, our church ought to reflect the culture in that sense. As for us, we desire to see every different nation, all tribes, all peoples, all languages. It's funny, I look, even as I look at, at you guys, I can see, I, I can see Welsh, I know there's Indian, I know there's different African nations, West Indians, Europeans, French. Wow, what an encouragement. And there's only like 10 of us, right? No joke. I think apparently there's about 150 of us if everybody was to turn up. And you know, in children's ministry, we've got like 60 children. It's tremendous. 
every different nation, all tribes, all peoples, all languages, and check it, and that reflected in the congregation as well as in the leadership. We've got room for growth. Amen? And we need to grow in that direction. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for just your commitment to us, your people. I thank you for your desire for us not to be like the world, for us not even to be like ourselves, but for us to be like you. And why would you ever exclude nations, individuals, and peoples that you created? You're responsible for every different nationality, every different language. Why would you not want every single one of those individuals or those, those people groups represented in your people, in your body, in your church, in your covenant community? You do. And Father, that's what we desire. As, as difficult as it is, as challenging as it is, culturally, Lord, help us. Help us get used to what it's going to be like anyway when we all come home. And Father, I thank you for this church in Antioch because it reflects that. It reflects the beautiful, multiracial mixture of different nations and all working so beautifully together, black and white and Jewish and male and female and rich and poor, every social strata merged and fused and everyone loving one another. Lord, that's where we desire to be. And we can't do it on our own. But thank you that you give us all that is necessary for life and godliness. That means we can do this. So help that to become a reality for us right here, Lord, in South London, we pray. In Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake, Father.